0: Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion
1: Bartoli. I'm Mats Willander. This
2: is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah.
0: This is Sid Allen Simpson from Evanston, Illinois, on the shores of Lake Michigan, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast.
1: Well, hello, and thanks very much to friend of the pod, Sid Allen Simpson, in our intro there from Illinois, as is our lovely mascot, Charlie, uh, from Chicago. Uh, We've got another mascot. The recording of this day one Australian Open podcast was somewhat delayed because I have found a new hashtag Tennis Podcast pet. um, And folks, it's a cat. I found a local cat to adopt. I love her so much. Um, everyone thinks I've gone mad. David and Matt are looking at me with trepidation at the moment. They're like, what's happened to her? But I found a three-legged cat with no tail and I love her and I want to bring her home. The Tennis Podcast Towers. Anyway, it's day one, or it was day one <laughs> of the Australian Open. Do you want um, me to start again, David? Is it too no. weird?
3: No, it's excellent. Well, what are you going to find tomorrow?
1: <laughs> it's only day Hopefully one. Hopefully, the same cat. She's going to wait for us on that pavement every day. I'm telling you, she was so delighted to see me and Matt coming her way at Harper's Midnight on a Monday.
3: Day ones of slams are long affairs, aren't they? And they can you can end up a bit delirious.
1: Yeah, she had the look of someone who was just a little bit disappointed with day one at the Australian Open. It was fine but she was looking for something to perk up her day. And I think that's that's the look that Matt and I had about us as well. And it was just a match made in heaven. We were all <laughs> able to perk up one another's days. Um, it was fine, wasn't it, today, David? It was absolutely fine. We were all pleased to be focusing on the tennis. There was a little bit of Djokovic reverb, but, you know, it did feel like a tennisy day. It just wasn't. A brilliant day.
3: Yeah I mean I'll leave you to tell me what it was like being there because from afar obviously me being in the UK and watching on TV and, and I sort of watched from I guess about 4pm in the afternoon local time so I missed the first few hours of the day uh, but I thought it was a dud, quite honestly, when I woke up and watched the evening session. I thought, uh, crikey, not much ha- not much is happening, is it? There's no epic matches. There's there's only one Brit who's played and he lost in about an hour and a bit. Uh, that was Cameron Norrie, and we'll get onto that later. But I mean, you know, I, I was underwhelmed, really. And then I started to hear and read about some of your experiences of being there, of just sort of, interactions with players and and things you'd hit, heard and seen. And I realised at that point what a great thing it is that you are there because because actually it was a much more interesting day than I realised. That's how it came across to me anyway.
2: Yeah, I think I had a better day being on site than I would have had if I'd just been watching on the telly. Um, it, was, it was really nice being back at a slam for the first time in a couple of years, uh, back with my interactive screen in the media centre, which is my preferred way of following the opening few days of a grand slam Matt
1: loves an interactive screen folks i
2: I do um Mm -hmm. and you know just to be able to go to press conferences and you know so many players obviously playing on day one of a slam that you can sort of pick and choose who you get to speak to which is nice um but i agree there wasn't a really excellent match which the whole day was sort of centered around and that sort of Brought a load of atmosphere to the grounds. It was it was a little bit dead, I thought, throughout, and we were trying to figure out what the reason for that might be. And it, and frankly, there could be several reasons. There could be a little bit of Djokovic uh, leftover feeling. There could be the fact that they've reduced the. Uh, ticket capacity on these days there could be some general hesitancy about covid and omicron at the moment i think perhaps all of these things played into it but it it, it wasn't buzzy there weren't there weren't brilliant vibes in the grounds but it was it was fine
1: mm. yeah i mean that felt felt the case sort of throughout the afternoon and I, personally i was waiting for Tanasi Kokonakis to step out onto mm. court number 3 um which is a court sort of so central in the grounds. It's right next to Garden Square. It's right next to where everyone comes in and where everyone leaves. So if you're considering leaving the ground, you could, you know, have your head turned by some Atmos uh, on that court. And, and it's sort of, it's both atmospheric and intimate, but also large enough to, to, to have an impact on the whole vibe of the grounds. And that match was, I mean, it was the disappointment of the day that match. Um, apologies to Yannick Hanfman, who was brilliant and absolutely deserved his win. But um, yeah, Tanasi Kokonakis can light up a, a court, a crowd, a tournament, a day, and it could not have been more of a dud that match. He just wasn't there. He was a ghost on the court. And he, he said himself, he just it didn't necessarily look like lack of physical energy, although I'm sure there was an element to that. He was just completely flat he had no emotional energy to give to that match. Winning Adelaide was the summit for him, and he felt it felt like he was sort of cycling down uh to a holiday today. It was really bizarre actually. And Yannick Hamfern did a really good job of just not letting him get a foothold, foothold in the match, not not letting him get any momentum, get the crowd on his side. He just dampened it every time it threatened to to burst through. But it felt like the day to me had been building up to that. And then it just never came, and it just felt a bit like, oh, mm. right then. Um, look, there were, there were other things that could have set the day on fire, but didn't, but didn't quite. I don't want to lay, lay all the blame at Cochranakis' door.
2: And I saw some quotes from him that obviously he's, he's gutted with that. You know, he came in in such good form. There was the prospect of Nadal waiting in round two. But at the same time, I don't think he would swap What he experienced in Adelaide.
1: No, and maybe that's the problem. And maybe that is the problem.
2: Exactly. I I remember we had a similar discussion last year around Dan Evans, who who won a title just before the Australian Open and then lost in the first round. Name that
1: title, folks. Name that title, David Murray. I was going to go Great Ocean Road. It was though. It was it was the Murray one. Yes, Yarra Valley Classic. (laughs) I
2: think that was a WTA event, David. Oh,
1: I think Uh. I think Matt's right. I think there was sort of really tenuous gags about it being, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
2: But but I think in that situation, you know, obviously Evans was really pleased to get his first title, but at the same time he was missing a slam run, and I think he was really really gutted to then lose in the first round. So I think for Kokanakis. Getting that title in his hometown was so so important. He can still look back on this Australia swing with, you know, with some pride that that he mm. that he did a good thing.
3: It's a quick turnaround, isn't it? I mean, I was just thinking, you know, it's it's what thirty six hours, and he's back out there, and he's got to try and get himself amped up. And the guy played well, as you say. I mean, it was it was tough. I mean, it, it,
1: I I I think it's quite different conditions as well between right. Adelaide and. Melbourne. It's something that Coco Gough, uh was asked about today in her post-match press conference. She was probably the biggest name in the women's draw to fall today. She lost in straight sets to to Chong Wong, quite one-sidedly. Actually, it was a it was a really bizarre performance from from Coco Golf. Look, Chong Wong's got got previous at this event. She of course beat Serena Williams here. A couple of years ago, on the famous day of two podcasts. Um, remember it well. But she's not done anything recently, Chong Wong. This was, you know, in terms of her form, really out of the blue. And Coco Goff had reached a semi final uh, in Adelaide last week. And in her own words, uh, she said, I had a great preseason and I was ready to have a good run here. She was completely at a loss after that match for why she wasn't just wasn't able to show up today wasn't able to get anything going she said she didn't feel free was just tight throughout the whole thing um and and she she, she, yes she said look the the conditions were a bit bit different in Adelaide last week but she said it's the first time she's played the week before a slam the week directly preceding a slam and she said perhaps that Preparation just doesn't suit her so well. She said, "I'm learning about when I play my best tennis." It's a really tough. Those aren't those circumstances, and and as soon as I relayed those quotes to Matt, I was going to say David. He said, by contrast to Alcaraz, who who just seems to to know himself and his game so well already. Fascinating that, yeah,
2: yeah, because Alcaraz was obviously you know one of the other stories today, and. We we speculated yesterday, didn't we, about why he hadn't played a warm-up event to the Australian Open. We hadn't seen him since he pulled out of the Davis Cup with COVID back in late November, that would have been.
1: Answer, he was in the gym.
2: True, absolutely true. And he has... I mean, if you compare and contrast Alcaraz today to the last time we saw him in a sleeveless shirt, which he was wearing today, which I think was at the French Open last year... It's a it's a different body that he's got, and he said he went into the off season with his coach looking to gain power. That was that was his aim, and you know he is he's he's transformed physically actually, and
1: yeah, because we all used to look at Alcaraz and go, "Where's the power?"
2: <laughs> well, that, yeah,
1: that feeble, yeah, like feeble, forehand.
2: power. There was an amazing um, description of this sort of. Transformation in, in El Pais today. Translated, they said, a thick, elongated vein shaped like an anaconda snakes up Carlos Alcaraz's arm from the deltoid to the wrist. The muscular oh. tension flows into the handle of his racket, and there it discharges cannon shots at more than 200 kilometers per hour.
3: Wow. That, I mean, that does feel like, I, I know I didn't see Alcaraz's match today. I haven't seen him in this sleeveless shirt, but you could be describing Nadal right there. And well,
1: David, well. No, carry on, carry on. Well, I'm just marking uh, the, people's cards for Nadal comments to come.
3: All, all I would say is that I do remember in the very, very formative stages of Nadal's career, from the moment I first saw him to the second time I saw him, The physical transformation he underwent of looking like a boy turning into, you know, a strapping young man, and and he he did. There was a transformation in him, and I I I know I I still feel slightly uncomfortable about making such throwaway, easy comparisons between the two. And I feel like that's unfair to Alcaraz and maybe not doing enough respect towards Nadal. But the, the the parallels are so stark.
1: And and if Alcaraz hated the comparisons that much, would he be wearing a sleeveless shirt? I don't know. Mm. It's certainly not saying don't compare me to Nadal. But he's not shying it? away from it, is he? No, he doesn't shy no, away. exactly. No,
2: and just a couple of other little things which came out of Alcaraz's press conference, which I went to. He was asked quite specifically what his goals are for the season in terms of ranking, and he said top 15 is his goal, and then his sort of stretch goal is to make the ATP Finals. He said that. you know, Well, where's he, wow, put what, that where out is he there. ranked
3: now, Matt? Where would he be ranked at the moment?
1: He, he's 31st seed, I think, isn't he? Because
3: so. right. it's quite interesting hearing, uh, I was hearing Seb Corder today say that his goal last year had been to get into the top 50, and now it's to get into about the top 30 or 25. And just hearing the way they... Mm. they sort of compartmentalise their careers in a way is, is interesting. But it does feel like Alcaraz is just fast-tracking his own intentions.
2: Yeah, I mean, he was brilliant today. He won in straight sets. He's, he's, he's never lost in the first round of a slam, 5-0 and o in in round one appearances there. And he is not a guy who doesn't look at the draw. He says, I like looking at the draw and I like dreaming. Oh, I thought you'd like that, David.
1: <laughs> oh, that's great! He's heard about you predicting that he'll win the Calendar Slam, David, and he's daring to dream. <laughs> I uh, he's liked also, looking at the
3: draw and dreaming. It was he's great. He's got your
1: backing, David, and he's also got the backing of Rafael Nadal, who was asked in the Spanish portion of his press conference today, Nadal, after his extremely straightforward win over Marcus Giron uh, of the United States. I mean, it was he was just it was it was so classic Nadal, bright sunshine, heat of the day, wearing hot pink, just teeing off on the forehand. It was just, it was, you know, right in the sweet spot for for Nadal fans. And he was asked, I mean, it was a great press conference afterwards. I think we were two of three English language uh, media in the room. So, um, you know, we got to, Ask him whatever we wanted to ask him, um, but he was also asked in the Spanish portion of his press conference whether Alcaraz can win the Australian Open, and he said, "Why not? I mean, maybe Emirati Karu just makes everyone a why not now. <laughs> um, maybe, but I don't know. It would be it would have been so easy for Nadal to say, you know, something a bit woollier than that. It, it would have um, also
3: been easier for him to have said." Oh, don't put the pressure on him like that. You know well, it, and exactly.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's a very good point. And you know he'll be very he'll be very aware that the headline every everyone's looking for there is you know Nadal tips Alcaraz for AO glory, you know, or similar. Uh, That's definitely how the Daily Express would... The Express Online would write it up, (laughs) isn't it? Law tips Alcaraz for calendar slam. That is coming. That would be accurate. I
3: think think the Express would say, uh, Nadal predicts extraordinary thing for Alcaraz. Click here to find out what. Yes,
1: yes, you're right. They wouldn't give the game away in the headline. Um, So, yeah, what else of of Nadal and his press conference? He he gave a really a revealing interview to jim currie in his in his post match on court interview and matt and i both picked up on um the fact that he revealed that the flare up of his foot injury which we know is a is a sort of chronic injury that he's had throughout his career um but he referenced in his pre tournament press conference that he'd been troubled by it for the last 2 years um, the first time, you know, we the public became aware of it. it was in the final set of his French Open match against Djokovic, of course. But he revealed that it had been troubling him long before that. Well, he revealed further in his interview with Jim Courier that it was immediately after the first lockdown at the start of 2020 that it began to seriously bother him. So I picked up on that in the the press conference and said, "Do you think it was the?" The relative inactivity of of that lockdown that caused the flare up. And he said, yes. Yes. He said, It is, it is it is the true. That's the true. That's the true. Um, which is one of my favourite uh nadalisms. Um he said he said after that lockdown, my knees had never been better. Um, but my foot was at its absolute worst, which is just so interesting, isn't it? Mm. And um Matt asked him to 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 rank this the difficulty of this comeback from injury among all his other many come comebacks from injury, which was a, a brilliant question.
2: And I think he, you know, he didn't he didn't sort of put it in categorical terms, but he hinted that this was has been the hardest, really, given his age, given it's the foot, and also and he wasn't just coming... He's not just trying to come back from injury. He's trying to come back from lack of matches and lack of tennis in the last two years because in 2020, he only played six tournaments. You know, that was the Australian Open, Acapulco. And then he didn't play for ages. We didn't see him again until, until the rescheduled Rome event at the back end of that year. And then he won Roland Garros so incredibly against Novak Djokovic. I think that probably covered up a lot of the problems he was having. Um, and then obviously last year he didn't play much either. So he hasn't got the matches, the tennis in his legs. And because of the foot problem, he's not been able to practice as much either when he when he hasn't been playing tournaments. So, you know, all these things, his age now have really contributed to this being, this being a very different and difficult comeback, I think, for Nadal. So it's so pleasing that he is back and... You know, today obviously, you know, sort of eased his way into the tournament, but so many, so many nice trademark Nadal signs in the mm. match.
1: David, how are you feeling about your Karatsev to beat Nadal prediction? Given that Karatsev hit 107 unforced errors in his match tonight, uh in five sets he came through against Jaume Munar of Spain. I have to say, Matt and I. Went out to the new, uh, the brand new Kia Arena, which is a lovely court to watch. Just a, a small portion of that match, we actually had to retire back to the media room because it was a little bit chilly. Um, but we went out to watch the second set tire break and the portion that we saw was just Karatsev being sublime, unplayable. I mean, he showed us, he showed us, he showed me variety that I didn't realise that Karatsev had. Quite, quite honestly, we saw everything from him. It was. It was beautiful. The set point alone was a highlight reel. Um, but uh, but you know, clearly it was an extremely patchy match and there were, there were periods when he was thrashing on forced errors all over the place. It looked like a, a sort of rusty performance, which is weird given that he's obviously just won a title in Sydney, but tight turnaround and all that.
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, there's two points, I suppose, that make it impressive, really. One is that we've just spoken about Kokkinakis there, you know, it's it's difficult to back up a title just a couple of days later. Okay, Karatsev didn't come with the same emotion. I don't think anything comes to Karatsev with quite the same emotion that it would to Kokkinakis. But <laughs> but also, you know, he's defending a lot of points at the Australian Open. You know, if, okay. if he if he was to lose in round one, that would that would set his career back quite a bit. I don't quite know what it would do to his ranking, but you have to think that. Last year's semi-final run here makes up a decent portion of his ranking points. So, every match he plays here is going to have quite a bit of pressure on it, I think, as well. So, for him to get through a match like that where he didn't have his best tennis, I suppose, I suppose, is a good win in the
1: end. You're trying to make David feel better. Are you sticking to your guns, David?
2: That's
3: where I would conclude because I think there was he was in real danger of going out today because Munar was was racing around like a. A sort of right-handed Nadal impersonator really and smacking his forehand and grunting with every single shot and I think the only thing is with Karatsev as, as as many as those unforced errors as he hit you also had a hell of a lot of winners mm. and it's 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 only a small adjustment with him to to go from you know Nine winners to eleven unforced errors, and switching that round, and just blazing away the winners, and closing closing his unforced error production down as well. I mean, you know, he's got got himself through when I really thought he looked like he was going out, and he's got Mackenzie McDonald. You know, I, I I still I still think Karata, I mean, you know, he's in that section of the draw with uh, Hubert Hercatch, who who won in four today. That that, that it may not even happen. The Karatsev-Nadal match but I just feel like that he's got this sort of dynamite in his ground strokes that can can take people out of the game no matter who they are so um you know be interesting but that that pressure element w- is an interesting one because he we haven't seen him have to deal with that before of, of defending points
1: mm, yeah but I hadn't thought of that um to, but you kept that up your sleeve Matt we sat there watching Karatsev Saving your material for the pod, obviously. <laughs> That's um, the way. <laughs> uh, it was the same court, uh, that Kia Arena, where we saw Cameron Norrie lose to Sebastian Corder. That result that you uh, you referenced earlier, David 6 3, 6 love, 6 4. Now, look, Sebastian Corda is a really good player and very, very well could be a Grand Slam champion in waiting. But that was a heavy heavy defeat for, for Cameron Norrie, the 12th seed. Um, and in impress, he was a bit like Coco Goff, really, really at a loss for why he played that badly. He was he was expecting to have a good tournament. I think he was really, you know, there was no, oh, he said, I was feeling fine physically. I knew Sebastian Corder was a, a tough opponent, but that didn't faze him. He said it was the worst match he'd played in eight months. Um and it's hard to disagree with that. And I you have to wonder about second season syndrome with with Cameron Norrie. You know, he's his next event might be trying to defend the Indian Wells title. Um that's a massive ask, you know, having to defend those ranking points and, and, and everything else that comes with it. And I do wonder how how much he'll enjoy being the hunted this year.
2: Yeah, I don't think being, what is he, the 12th seed here really suits Cameron Norrie. You know, he, he he is now a target. He he obviously sort of rode the wave of last season and had this incredible consistency throughout the season as he became more of a target. But that sort of stoppage, I think, has changed things. And he's he started the year with four straight defeats, only winning one set in those matches. It must be said... They've all been tough matches. He played uh, Taylor Fritz, Alexander Zverev, Felix Auger-Aliassime at the ATP Cup, and now he's played Sebastian Corda. You know, those are very, very capable players. Sort of on their own, none of those results are actually that bad. But it's the sort of cumulative effects of them and the fact that normally Norrie has been so reliable. You know, we've, we've expected Norrie to play well and for him to come out and give a performance... Like this, which you know was well below par for him, I think does suggest that there's something going on beyond that, and you know it, it is a struggle for him now, perhaps with this new status that he's got. But you know, I, th- I think we shouldn't we shouldn't write him off yet. You know, he's 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 shown us a different side to him last season. He might show us that he can actually cope with this with this new status once he has a bit more time with it, perhaps. But yeah, with Indian Wells around the corner, it might not be long before he's back down the rankings again yeah. if he doesn't defend those 1,000 points.
1: And it should be said that Sebastian Corder, for, for a man that whose um, pre-tournament preparation was spending a week in self-isolation in Adelaide, um, played damn well today. He was... He was brilliant, and uh, yeah, when you know the we- the weakness with Corder is is the movement, but when that doesn't get exposed, he looks a dream. This, the stroke production is just so smooth and so lovely; it's really enjoyable to watch. Uh, just in terms of other other men's results, before we move on to the notable women's matches, I know we've mentioned Goff, but there's there's plenty more to touch on with the women's um, Monfils. Look good today, David. You're not convinced that Monfils is going to be the man to capitalise in that top quarter the draw, but he. I squeezed him really into the quarters. To, did you? In the nick we of persuade time. Persuade you?
3: Well, frankly, only because of Djokovic um, <laughs> being out of the tournament. He he wouldn't have been there otherwise. Well, no. Um,
1: no no but... one's got Monfils meeting, beating Djokovic ever, David
3: but to, to be honest, i think in a way because Djokovic was in that section i didn't even notice monfils i didn't even look at anybody <laughs> and then and then suddenly i realized afterwards oh, i've got to pick somebody uh, but i've still got him going out to alcaraz but i mean he does it is quite interesting how efficiently he's won that first round match and maybe we're just looking at, at a slightly different monfils now because he's he's often felt to me somebody who ends up going this sort of uh scenic route through a match rather than making headway through a draw and you'll remember Mm. a match and then another match, but has it really led to much? Well, you know, this, he did, he did with Correa what he should have done really. Mm.
1: Yeah. Agreed. I'd love to see him go on a run. I'd love to see it in that, in that quarter of the draw. I've also got Berrettini coming through. I've actually got Berrettini in my semis and uh, I was worried earlier. Berrettini looked ropey. Uh, He lost the opening set to to Brandon Nakashima, which is a tough draw. And then I was keeping a very close eye on this because I've I've got a lot riding on both Berrettini and Bedossa, more on that later, um, this fortnight. And Berrettini gets the trainer and the doctor on midway through uh, the second set? No, midway through the third set. So he won the second, midway through the third set, he gets the the doctor on. He, He takes some pills... And starts gesturing towards his lower end region. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, and then he starts inquiring about whether additional toilet breaks are available. Probably cursing Stephanos Sitsapas internally, <laughs> and then and then the mystery is very much solved uh, when he <laughs> writes on the camera after eventually winning through in four sets. Uh, Imodium Grazie, Um, which is definitely the moment of the day, I think. And then he didn't come to press, which I think everybody was grateful for
3: kind of wonder whether Berrettini may be somebody who will feel a little bit of the pressure this year. I mean, a lot of, a lot will be to do with his fitness. Not Obviously, this is a, a specific episode, but I mean, we've had injuries last year at the start and the end of the year. But there's a hell of a lot for him to now back up. And I just think mentally, and I think we've seen it with Norrie, we may see it with Norrie, is this, when you go into the off-season, do I add to my game? Do I need to do something different? And I think that sometimes they can... They've just got to stick to the guns and be who they are. And and Berrettini's got a got a new sponsor. He's wearing Hugo Boss and all this sort of stuff. Great, diarrhea, but-
1: diarrhea is definitely the look that Hugo Boss uh, signed up for, isn't it? That was the <laughs> that was the brand association that they were targeting when they paid the big bucks for Matteo Berrettini. Yeah, yeah. Well, we see him in a Modium adverts this time next <laughs> year. Um, yeah, no, you, you could you you could very well be right, David. I
2: suppose he has had a little flavour of playing with that expectation at. Wimbledon last year when he came in having won Queens and talking up his game and saying, you know, I, I like grass and he was in the opposite half to Novak Djokovic and sort of he was expected to get through that half and he did, you know, he, he, held, up, he held up his end. But I agree, it's sort of an even, feels like an even bigger chance with Novak Djokovic not even in the draw from the start.
0: That's blue Nile.com.
3: Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right.
1: So Berrettini, I've I've got semi-final points riding on him. I need him to reach the last four. Bedossa... I've got winning this thing. Um, and she she break- <laughs> when she went a break with it. When she went a breakdown uh in the opening game to Ila Tomlyanovic, I was worried. And when she went off court, well, it, it, during many stages of a very edgy first set, I was worried, and then even after she won it, I was worried because she then went off to get her right thigh strapped to match her opponent Tomlyanovic, who came onto court with her right thigh strapped and took Paula Badosa's medical timeout as an opportunity to get her right thigh strapped <laughs> even further. It was a right thigh strapping off. <laughs> um, now it, it, it's a. <laughs> this is a little bit like um, Aslan Karatsev. There's two ways of reading this. You know, she still beat Ilya Tomljanovic, who's capable of some breathtaking tennis. She's just not capable of. Stringing it together consistently, often enough, but she still be Ilya Chomlanovic in, in her backyard six four six love with a bit of an injury. Um, that's pretty damn impressive, but she's got a bit of an injury, and <laughs> I, that's not what I want in someone that I've predicted to win a title. Who still has to win six more matches to 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 fulfill my dreams.
2: Yeah, no, I think you've said it very well. I thought that the match basically just showed the difference between those two players. You know, they had similar baseline games a lot of the time. You know, some some really brilliant rallies. And Tomjanovic was more than a match for Badossa frequently with, with her own ground strokes. But the, the real heart of the match was the very end of, of the first set, the start of the second set. And Balossa won all of those games. You know, when it was tough, she was the one who didn't miss. She was the one who was able to compete harder. You know, just really looked like she wanted it more, I suppose. And she was the one that came through and ended up racing through the second set. You know, all of the all of the things we've learned about Balossa over the last year or so, I thought, were evident in in, in those moments today. But yeah, she was. She was uncomfortable, it looked to me, the way she was walking. She was mm. wincing a little bit. Of course, we don't know the extent of the injury, but it definitely has to be a concern.
1: And for the sake of the time that, that David spends wading through our uh, tennis podcast email inbox, he's requested that I point out to people that we're saying Bedossa because it is Bidossa. Um And apparently that doesn't go without saying. Uh, she says Bedossa... Um, Matt is, says the say Matt is a Spanish speaker and he knows these things. So it's Bedossa. In pronunciation news, though, I learnt today that it's Holger Rune. Oh,
3: really? That's mm. interesting.
1: I mean, irrelevant because he lost and uh, <laughs> it's... It, it isn't a thing <laughs> yet. He really thinks he's a thing, but he's not but just yet. Um, something we can point if, out if and when to, he becomes a thing, it's Rune. We'll point
3: it out to the New York crowd when they're shouting Rune mm. and people think that he's, they're actually booing
2: because mm. mm. they, they yeah. thought they were going, Boo!
3: Um, no, Rune! And all both wrong!
2: <laughs> And he continues to have a cramping problem.
1: Yes, he was cramping midway through oh. a fourth set. It really wasn't that warm today. He needs to sort that out anyway. Um, yes, Bedossa, you, David, watched her post-match interview on the court, which you said was really lovely. Uh, Matt and I were petting our, our new cat at that point, so you will have to fill us in. <laughs> yes,
3: yeah, so after after I, I messaged to you what a lovely interview it was, you 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 messaged, I love her. I thought you were talking about Badossa. Turns out you were talking about Robin Three Legs.
1: I've called her have called her Robin.
3: Uh yeah. So anyway, um yeah, this, what I liked about this interview was how candid she was. She she didn't shy away from the fact that she got the injury. She didn't try to pretend it was nothing serious. She was a bit worried about it. But she was also really effusive in her praise for the, the physio that came on and in three minutes kinda of sorted it out. And I thought that, that was a really nice touch. And um and you know, what the other thing that really struck me, there is not a player that has a bad word to say about Paula Badossa. You know, she's just knocked out one of the home favourites, Ala Tomljanovic, who's would have had high hopes herself. Speaking of six four, six love, Tom Lianovic is giving her a hug at the net. She's she's kind with her words. I mean, you think back to the row she had with Yelena Ostabenko last year. You know, she she doesn't hold back if she doesn't like somebody. Everybody speaks warmly of Badosa And I I my only concern for her is her physical fitness because her game looks incredible to me.
2: I think we should say that. One of the disappointments of the day, one of the annoying things about the day was that that match was scheduled second if, of the two night session matches on that court, which meant that it was after a men's match and that men's match was Sean Millman versus Feliciano Lopez. They very predictably played quite a long match and it meant that Bodossa and Tomjanovic started... I don't actually know what time it was, but it would have been gone 10 o'clock, I think. It has gone 10
1: o'clock, Which
2: yeah. is just... Too late, really, to be starting I a think match. They got on the court. Right. It, it, it's too late
1: for that to be, you know, entirely. It was scheduled to start at ten thirty. I mean, most people would probably have predicted that Lopez Milman would have lasted about that long. So they knowingly scheduled that match to start at ten thirty, and I just just don't think that's okay when it's it's avoidable. Um, and you know, okay, you might any excuses that you put. I mean, f- frankly, if if getting rid of best of five is the only solution to that, I'm, I would be up for that. I don't want to get rid of best of five. I don't think it's necessary. I think there are other solutions. If well, you're you can willing do it in the early rounds, that, can't you? That that, uh, that is an unacceptable situation. Um, when you got, um, got the long, when you got loads it took, and loads I'd of matches, because I just don't think it's okay. Mm. Um, and it's just, it's not I mean, necessary. It's not okay, and it's, it's just so lazily done so often. Um, and they've done
2: the same tomorrow.
1: And they've done the same tomorrow with Radicanu and Stevens, two US Open champions. It's the f- it's the first time the Australian Open has seen Emma Raducanu, and most people probably won't see it. Mm. Um, I mean, crap. I suppose
3: that's... G- good for a british audience but the truth is it would have been good for a british audience if it had been the first match of the mm. night session as well wouldn't it yeah. and then you would have more likely got an atmosphere and it, i did feel for tom lianovich there you know mm. she's she's out there in in a home slam in front of a handful of people it it's it's a real shame
1: mm. yeah also it just well <laughs> don't want to lay into them too much. They've, they've had a tough week since Australia. Um, but uh, Victoria Azarenka, two-time champion, was scheduled on court three today. Um, and she played brilliantly out there. She beat uh, Panna Udvardi. Um, but I just thought court three for a two-time champion. Mm. You know, you could have put her on the Kia Arena, christened the the new court. Um, I don't know. It just, that just can, can I ask, didn't feel um, quite right to just me.
3: Just, While you're on Tennis Australia, have they had any flack today that is your sense? Has there been any fallout from the Djokovic, any follow-up, any sort of um, unpleasantness out in the grounds or in the city or anything that has made you think, oh, there's the remnants of what we've just had?
1: No, not really. uh, I mean, there have been a couple of journalists that have been wanting to pursue the story, that have been going into press conferences and very specifically and very directly asking... I mean, there was one journalist, one Australian journalist, that actually don't know which publication she was with, but I saw her in a couple of questions, uh, press conferences directly asking the players, was it right that Novak Djokovic uh, was, had his visa cancelled? Do you think Djokovic should be playing this Australian Open? Um, and none of the players that I saw and heard asked um were really prepared to answer that you know they they deflected the question Mm. uh there's a journalist from the telegraph here who is very pro djokovic and has been throughout who got some quotes from serbian players saying the the locker room was was up in arms about it about the whole situation and was really displeased with tennis australia but It's only the Serbian players that have been that have been quoted um, with with that opinion. So, no, it doesn't. The only sort of overwhelming feeling is my God, let's relief. I think relief. It's over. That's what I felt from every corner, personally.
2: Yeah, and I think relief, but also. Everyone is jaded by it, and you know normally the start of the slam should, you know, really start with a bang. But I think everyone is already a bit tired, and was missing some energy today. Yeah. And and I, look, I, as I said, it's it's difficult to pin all of that on on the whole on the whole situation with Novak Djokovic, but it feels like a, like a contributing factor. You know, everyone is just not quite ready for the start of a slam. Yeah. I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. There was one of the matches of the day, in fact, I think was uh, Madison Keys against Sophia Kennan, which I probably should have gone out and watched some of that. But the John Kane Arena is so darn far away. I, I've never been there, I've been going to Open. To <laughs>
2: it's my favorite thing. David's never been. I've it been is there. so
1: far away. I, I've I don't seen blame it called... you, David
2: the
3: Vodafone Arena, the Hisense Arena, the Melbourne Arena, now the John Kane Arena, <laughs> 20 years. Up, no, I've
2: never been. Never you're been. Have, you have to really commit if you're going to go there. Yeah, you know, you, well, you that's sort the of, thing. You can't just pop over and catch the tie break or pop over and catch the end of the set because by the time you get there, you'd have missed what you're trying to yeah Go you're re-
1: you're relocating for the day. I, d- I did watch some of it John though
3: on, on the TV I watched some of that match and it was a good tussle wasn't it it was 7 6 7 5 and and it was close all the way through and it was just uh, I felt like Kennin is it was building something there some resistance but and fair play mm. Keys you know she she stuck to it.
1: I I agree with you David I actually felt I mean Keys was really good and it was it was a it was a grittier keys than i than i've seen in a long time mm. and her celebration was quite gritty as well she she really dug in there but I, I feel bad for Kennin cuz that will just go down as former champion loses in first round and that looks really bad but she actually played really well i thought and that's an incredibly tough draw and i thought given the the form and the absence of of Kenin recently. I thought, actually, it I, sounds so cliched, but there were a lot of positives for her in that match today. But, you know, on paper, first round exit doesn't, doesn't look or sound great. Um, six love, six one for Ash Barty over Alicia Serenko, That looked and sounded great for the top seed. Um, at one stage, it was six love, was it 6 love 5 love it was i think 6 mm, love it was yeah six yeah it was 6, six love, five love 5 love and and, and match point and, and
2: and last year she won her first round match at the Australian Open 6 love 6 love oh against Danka Kovinic so she she I almost mean, she did is, it twice in a row
1: she's a i've written in the notes here barty is a stone cold killer um <laughs> she's just she's an assassin on the court really she is she's currently on a streak of forty-one consecutive service holds, does it with That's a smile as well? Four matches which... without being broken. She's, yeah, I know. You know, we're 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 headed hopefully for a fourth-round clash with Naomi Osaka, um, which will surely see that streak tested. If not, if not before, then who knows? But wow. That is some formidable form, considering when she when she won Wimbledon last year, she really had to play herself into that tournament. It was, you know, some of the early rounds were a bit ropey, as I recall. Well, to <laughs> think that she could play herself in from from this point is uh, is a, a pretty fearsome prospect for for all her opponents. Also, Barbora 2 two six, love for her today. Uh, on the Kia Arena against uh, Andrea Petkovic. Uh, I listened into to her post-match press conference and she said lots of things about tennis, which were interesting, but she also said, I sleep a lot. That is my favourite thing to do.
2: <laughs> and you related. And I related. Catherine it was tried
1: brilliant.
3: hard to, not to punch the air in front yes. of
1: her. Yes. Uh, I mentioned uh, a potential fourth round between Barty and Osaka. Asaka was second up on the Rod Laver Arena today after Maria Sakari, who um, opened up the tournament on the main show court. She won his straight sets against Tatiana Maria. She made hard work of it, though. She was stressed. It was. I found it quite angsty watching that match. And I've written, I've written here in the notes, does she want it too much?
2: Mm, possibly. Possibly. She is a bit uptight when she plays and she is very aware of that, though. You know, she wasn't particularly pleased with her performance. I think she was pleased to win, of course, but she said she survived was the word she used um, for her performance. On the court, she described Tatiana Maria's game saying she plays a really weird game in a good way which i thought was quite amusing i guess referring to the fact that basically her backhand is a, is a slice a chip and is a bit awkward um but then she's also said something that last year was the first year she felt like she really belonged at this sort of top level and i asked her in in the press conference whether that belief was what fueled her semi-final runs at the slams, which we saw, or whether she got that belief from those runs. And she said it came before, you know, she's done a lot of mental work to try and get rid of the doubts that were nagging away at her. And she does feel like she's really made considerable progress over the last year. There's just very obvious more progress that she sort of got to make now. Um, But, you know, I sort of believe in
1: Zachary. Okay. Yeah. I mean, okay. I'm, I'll I'll put aside my angst. Oh, no! Don't
2: because <laughs> because it is it is a part of watching her. Yes,
1: it is. It is, and, and as you say, she she's very aware of it, and it's hmm. it's just part of the package, priced in, as one might say. Um, so Osaka then followed her. On to court, she was very... very. When I when I arrived on site, Matt was already there and Asaka had, had, I think, raced to a five-love lead against Camilla Os- Osorio and he looked over at me and he said, oh, I'm, I'm worried I've underestimated Osaka in my predictions. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm so easily convinced
2: by Osaka. All I need to see is one blazing forehand winner up the line and I think, oh, she's the best. You know, she can win this tournament and I think really the only reason I haven't picked Osaka to go further is because of Barty in the fourth round. And, you know, I suppose given what we saw today, I would, I would stick with that prediction, but yeah, there were is good it signs. Is not just the
3: last six months as well though, Matt? I mean, if you think about it, you know, she's, there, yeah. there are being a lot of question marks.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I suppose, I suppose that is the case, but if she were in a different part of the draw, I think I would, despite the last six months, I think I would, have her going deep in this tournament. It's Mm. just the Barty element. Um, Yeah, she started so well. Then it got quite tight, and Camilla Osorio put up some really good resistance, actually. You know, she doesn't have anywhere near the firepower that Osaka has, but she was really stepping in on, on her return, way inside the baseline, trying to take on Osaka's serve. Um, and yeah, it was it was a fun match and, and a good performance from both players, really. And then Osaka was pretty chilled in her press conference, quite, quite reflexive, I thought, you know, because there were a couple of moments in the match where firstly she whiffed a uh, smash, completely missed the ball and kind of burst out laughing after it. And there was one moment where she stepped on the Melbourne wording at the back of the court and then sort of chuckled to herself, went back and stepped over it because she's because she's superstitious. She doesn't like stepping on the wording at the back of the court. So there were these moments in the match where we saw her sort of smiling and laughing to herself, which was obviously really nice to see. But she said that she still has to think to sort of respond to those moments in a jovial manner it's not her instinctive reaction on the court and she's sort of training herself mentally to be a little bit calmer to be a little bit happier on court it's really fascinating the way she talks so openly
1: about that like and she's trying to override the system yeah totally mm, yeah yeah um, we have a second round meeting between Belinda Bencic and Amanda Anisimova to look forward to, which is definitely one to asterisk. Uh, Bencic was the first winner of the tournament. She beat Kiki Lidenovich. Um And Anisimova really fought back from the brink. Um, she really looked like she was going out, did Amanda Anisimova. And you told me, Matt, that she, up until this point, has had a terrible record in deciding sets at Slam slams.
2: Yeah, coming into this match, she was uh, one deciding set victory and eight, de- eight defeats in deciding sets in slams. So this was big. This was mm. big because she was not playing well at all against Ariane Hartenow, I think is how you say it, from the Netherlands.
1: I, I think she's the NCAA champion
2: from from a few years from ago a few years ago think, yeah. yeah and she got quite a similar game actually very flat hits especially with her it's more the forehand I suppose but yeah she was really in trouble Anissa Mova, and I thought afterwards she did one of those pointing to her head things in in celebration I think you know she was pleased with how tough she was out there
1: yeah and of course working with Darren Cahill I went to a press conference afterwards and asked her how that came about and and you know referenced the fact that his phone probably rings a lot you know after he split with Simona Halep there were probably a lot of people that spied an opportunity to to get him on the team and it sounds like she picked up the phone pretty quickly when she heard that he was available and I I think she knows it's a real coup to score him you know I know it's a it's a a well not temporary, it's a trial, trial arrangement, that's what they call it, isn't it? But um yeah, she says she's loving having an Aussie coach in Australia. It makes her feel feel more at home and more comfortable. So Annisam over and Benchich look forward to. Just final match I'd like to mention before uh before we round off this day one pod. I've already gone too long, but about sort of eight minutes was cat chat at the beginning, which many of you will have fast forwarded. <laughs> um so uh Diania today. Remember oh, yes.
2: her? This she, was great.
1: She retired in her match against Madison Brengel trailing Mm. one six six love love five she retired at five love down in the deciding set which is uh,
3: <laughs> something very much frowned upon by
2: players yeah
1: of
3: just... certainly
2: champions of the past mm. unconfirmed whether or not it was for the fans
1: unconfirmed um mm. one last line uh from this match Diana Stremska, the, the loser of the match, hit 31 winners in that match, which she lost. And Madison Bregel, in that match that she won, hit one. One <laughs> winner. Brilliant. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, um, I thought something to do with that stat would be a brilliant stat for the day. You know, has anyone ever uh won a match with fewer winners than one, i.e. zero winners. <laughs> um but the fact that Yostremsky retired possibly for the fans at five love down in the decider ruins that stat because of course there will at times have been have been retirement results where the the winner uh has, it, hit no has hit no winners. So extremely annoying. <laughs> from Diana <laughs> Um So what a note to end on, day one of, uh, of the Australian Open. This is what day two promises. Uh, we have on the Rod Laver Arena tomorrow, day sessions start with Garbini Muguruza. Then we've got Harriet Dart, British Qualifier, taking on Iga Svjantek. Uh, then we've got Daniil Medvedev against Henry Laxon. And don't think anyone is seeing any upsets during the day on Rod Laver. Night session, though. Storm Sanders against Arena Sabalenka. I've gone Sanders in my newsletter pick for tomorrow. Big. Watch this space. And then we've got Emma against, uh, Mikhail i to is, against Stefano Tsitsipas. On the second court, we have... Uh, Daria Saville, formerly Daria Gavrilova, against Rebecca Peterson. Rublev against Majer. Rublev, of course, recently from co- recovered from COVID. So it'll interesting to see how he pulls up. Then Samana Halep, David's pick for the final. He's gone retro. Uh, and then in the evening session there, Lorenzo Massetti against Alex de Menor, which part of me hopes will be every bit as epic as it could be. And part of me doesn't want Sloane Stephens and Emma Raducanu to have to come onto court, you know, goodness knows what time. But anyway, that is the last match of the day, Stephens against Raducanu. I'll just read you the John Kane Arena because uh, that, are that is where you'll find Kvitova Kastea, Kontovate Siniakova, and then not before 3 p.m. local time, Basilashvili against Andy Murray, and then not before 7, Liam Brody against Nick curios that's for tomorrow i've also got one last agenda item uh which given the fact that i've spent so long talking about a cat we can leave till tomorrow if you'd like it's about the australian open launching into the metaverse would you like us to cover this today or would you both like some time to research the metaverse i'm need to google one of
2: those is this about NFTs?
1: It's about NFTs, I folks. I don't
2: understand NFTs. Well, you've got
1: 24 hours to understand it. Tomorrow, folks, tune in on our Day 2 Australian Open podcast for news of the sweet blockchain wallet that the Australian Open are offering cool. this year. Okay? That's on the agenda tomorrow. <laughs> I've never seen
2: David less pumped.
1: In in amongst all the tennis folks. <laughs> I'm determined to launch the tennis podcast into the metaverse along with the Australian <laughs> Open. We're going there, folks. Um, so that is reason to tune in tomorrow. If NFTs are your thing, tennis will also be covered. So if tennis is your thing, tune in tomorrow. We've got Charlie, the lovely, lovely Beagle. Charlie, uh, don't be threatened by Robin um you are our one and only Australian Open mascot for 2022 uh, and we love you owned by Phil and Gina in Chicago. Hello Phil and Gina. We have Darwin. Uh David didn't get any points today. I didn't get any points for Carter today. Matt did. Gerald, you can thank Talon Greek Spore for your oh, points today. Tell you what, Talon Greek Spore is on goes. a is
2: on a 29 match winning streak. What? No. Fact. I mean, heck? mostly been mostly at challenger level. Yeah,
1: Has he been playing David?
2: <laughs> mostly at challenger level. 29 and, times in a row.
1: <laughs> and he pulled
2: out of his match against Nadal in Melbourne last week. To protect the winning streak. Well, <laughs> wouldn't you? <laughs> right. But yeah, he is cleaning up at the moment and he took out Fabio Fanini today. Great win.
1: Okay, sure. Um... Chris Albert Lee and Carl Weingartner are our executive producers and top blokes. Billie Jean has been at the pub without me. Uh, she's sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. It's all right, Billie Jean. I've been fraternizing with cats without you. Uh, That's Matt, why she's been down the pub. <laughs> we've got a shout out. <laughs> Who are
2: they for? Drowning her sorrows. <laughs> we have Debbie Rhodes from Portsmouth. Oh, hello, Hi Debbie. Debbie.
1: Hello, Debbie, great name. That could be a sort of 1940s film star name.
2: Wow, that's Mm. cool. I like that. She says, I've loved tennis for the past 30 years, from going to Wimbledon as a teenager to working there as a member of the Royal Air Force.
1: Oh, wow. Thank you for your service, Debbie. My grandpa was in the RAF.
2: We have (laughs) Gregor
1: Schlosser from Berlin. A Gregor, right, Gregor? A Gregor or a Grigor? Gregor. Gregor. Well, that's what Greg Rezetsky calls Grigor, So <laughs> it's, it's, all, it's all the same. He wants him to be a fellow Greg. <laughs> You're in the club, Gregor. <laughs> all right, Gregor. Thanks for your support.
2: He became a listener during last year's Australian Open and hasn't missed an episode since.
1: I love this extra detail that we've got with the, with the new shout-outs. I love it. Thank you, Gregor.
2: And finally, we have Teja Bayer from Seattle.
1: Oh, Yes, I, uh, Seattle, like my Seahawks. I really want to go to Seattle. It look, I mean, the weather looks shoddy, but uh, I really want to go too. It's great. I'll take you
3: to a Seahawks game, Catherine. Okay. We can wear
1: navy blue and black yeah. green.
3: Yeah. It's great. I'll oh, yeah, well, you, I mean, you like, you, but I will you sleep a, through it. Got a good four hours to nap for. You'll love yeah. it.
1: Yeah. Deal.
2: Awesome. Thank
1: you very. Thank you very much. What with ta- Tajer.
2: Tager. Tager. Very handily spelt it phonetically for oh, me.
1: Oh, we we appreciate that very much. Thank you, Tager from seattle for your support uh, we'll be back tomorrow folks with tennis and nfts tune in then for day two for the australian open